You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast. It's episode 116. In this episode, we're going to review the Palace game and then go with some footy news. So Palace review, right, that's done. On to the footy <laughs> news then, guys. <laughs> oh God, if only we could do that. I suppose we've got to talk about it, haven't we? Um, well, for anyone that's been in cloud cuckoo land and hasn't observed, we lost the game last night. We're speaking on the Tuesday here. Um, two one defeat. Um, one of the most ridiculous results I think I've ever seen watching football. That's my own opinion. We'll get into the the nitty gritty of the match later on. But um, I am joined with, by, as usual, by Peter. How are you doing, Pete? Not great, but you know, yeah. <laughs> the face the face says it all. Obviously, we can't do can't show that on the podcast. But um, yeah, you'd, it, you'd, it's... you'd lose a lot of um, a lot of listeners if you showed my face. To be honest, anyway. <laughs> Not the best of times, is it? Um, yeah. And we have one of the Andy Bs. We've got Andy Bass back with us. Hi, Andy. How you doing? Yeah, I've uh, had better days, got to admit. Yeah. Had better days. <laughs> so the three of us are going to thrash this out now about this game. Um, just firstly, the fact stuff. Sanchez in goal, Beltman, White, Dunk, Burn, Alzate in a more flexible back five, you could call it, maybe four at one point, wasn't it? Um, after sub, Roche. Basuma and McAllister, the other players further forward with Trossard, um, also with Mac and Morpe as the striker. Um, goals in the uh, first half, well, one goal in the first half for um, for them. Second half, um, you know, we thought we got back on terms, but they snatch it right at the end. Um, so let's let's start with Andy. Andy, first of all, uh, your overall take on the game. And any any obvious statements to make before we get into the finer details? Just crestfallen, basically. Um, I, you know, we we joke. You know, prior to the game, we joke about these things all the time. Um, you know, oh, how how we're going to lose this game, and there's something about this game, particularly at the Amex, that is just so incredibly frustrating um 
and last night was no exception. It was just an absolute aberration. Um, it's probably the most one-sided game I've seen outside of us, you know, uh, defending at Tottenham a couple of seasons back. It very much reminded me of that. Um, I And I just thought, you know, Palace were scared to play us at football um, and they they executed their plan perfectly. I mean, it was just get in the way. Um, but if they if they had tried to to you know engage in that in that game, then um, then maybe we we'd have carved out a little bit more space and um, more than just the really small number of decent what I would call decent chances in the game. Um, very very frustrating. I just thought we put. We threw the kitchen sink at them. I couldn't ask any more of the players other than, you know, we'll come to a couple of things later in in, a, mm. in the chat, I'm sure. But but in terms I, of effort, I, I thought, I thought I, yeah, I thought the effort was absolutely fantastic. We really wanted to win that game. We, you know, we did what we did, and it and it wasn't enough. I mean, that's just basically it. I I think with this, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for for me, I could see how crestfallen you are, but and I, I am as well. I mean, for for me, for my part, I'm I was fuming last night. I was in a, a foul mood <laughs> um, beyond all all compare. Because um, what what bugs me about this, and with the greatest respect to Palace fans that we've had on the show, a couple of them, and any any others happen to be listening, your team is terrible. It is a really bad team, with the exception of just being well organised and to be fair to them, clinical with the chances they took, which again, we'll get into that later on. Those are the only two points of merit you can say for the team. Um, in terms of the, I, I'm presuming it was Alan Smith, or I can't stand both in terms of his his output, just his voice and what he says. I think he's an awful co-commentator slash summariser. And I'm presuming it's him that nominated Man of the Match. I think that's how it normally yeah. works on TV. How in the fuck they gave the man of the match to Jordan Ayew? I mean, a, a striker who didn't score for Palace. They, they only, uh, it's just, that uh, was baffling. But what, I mean, that, that was, uh, that just added to the farce of the. That was basically yeah, it. He ran around. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He did nothing more than that. I don't remember him. I forgot he was on the pitch, to be honest. Um, he he, for the first goal, to be fair, but yeah, he didn't do a lot else. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, really across, uh, across for a, a bit, no, a bit of skill, uh, you know, it just, I, that, that was a fast, but it kind of summed up the day, really. I made a drink half time, uh, having planned not to drink much. I decided to mix myself a G&T last night and the glass broke. There's a circle of glass broke in the glass. So the whole thing poured out after I poured it. Um, it was just one of those nights. Everything was going wrong and everything had felt so good in the run up. What I think mostly about that was, the fact we'd been informed, we'd sorted out the defensive issues, we thought. Um, yes, we hadn't sorted out the scoring issues, but in what was likely to be a tight game, um, we thought we'd have enough to win this one way or the other. And it was back to square one, wasn't it, really? That was the problem. Um, but what really angered me was, yeah, the fact that they are such a bad team. They, it bugs me that they're ahead of us in the table 
going into the match, let alone the fact they're now six points ahead of us. Um, they really are a bad team. And of all and the men to point... score a really good volley like that, it's Benteke who normally can't shoot yeah. straight. He's been terrible for Palace for years. Yeah, insult to injury. Is that... He wouldn't strike it like that again. Yeah, he's I got virtually a goal in a season, hasn't he? He's had about a goal a season and he, and he comes out with a worldie, admittedly helped by giving them the opportunity to some degree. We'll get into that later as well. But, you know, it, it's typical. It all went wrong. Benteke scores. I mean, it's, it's, it's ludicrous, isn't it? Um, but I just felt, I felt very angry by the fact that they've got away with it. And, and Hodgson yeah. at the end trying to be, I think he was trying to be diplomatic, um, but it actually riled me even more when he said, you know, Brighton are, it shows how close things are that Brighton are, as good as we are, but they're six points behind us. No, we're not. We're far better than you are, except with, I would say, we're finishing on the night, but not in general. They're, they're terrible finishers overall. Their, their ratio isn't great. Um, yet we come away with nothing. And, and what it is, it's, it's the same repeat of what we've had in a number of games before now. We've listed them all before. We won't list them again. We know which games we're talking about, all the home draws especially. And what's happened in some of the other recent games is that we've had, for example, Wolves and, for example, Fulham. We got away with exactly what happened last night in those matches. And this time we came unstuck in what was the most ridiculous of all of the possible options for that to happen in. The one where we had the least threat from the opposition. And, of course, it has to be Palace, doesn't it? The arch rivals. So that's what I'm so pissed off about. Um, I mean, we talked off air about a um, load of people getting on at Potter and a load of stuff on social media. I'm, I have to ask you guys about that because I've, I've not looked at any of it. I haven't looked at social media since the game on the account of the fact I'm already in a bad enough mood about the whole thing. Um, I'm sure there's a load of utter shite being chatted on there. Um, I don't blame Potter. One or two in, in-game decisions, maybe Jambach coming on or something. You can argue about one or two smaller details, but it's the players. The players didn't take their chances again. And I hold... Adam Lalona particularly accountable in this yeah. because he had two of our best ones. And, and the second of those was a shocking miss, not only the fact he missed it, but by how much. Yeah. When, when he had time, he was unmarked and he's an experienced player. Exper- even, even at international level, he's, he's had games. So that's my view on it. Um, on, that, on that note, over to you, Peter. <laughs> so a few things on that. Firstly, on Potter. I get your point, and I get that he, there's a limit to what, you know, there's only a certain amount of things he can do. But when this keeps on happening, at mm. what point do you, you know, I mean, who, you can keep on saying it's the players, it's the players, whatever, but something must change, whatever, somewhere. Now, actually, I, I, although I was at one point advocating Potter going, I'm not advocating or at least moving towards that. I'm not doing that now. I'm not particularly, I think he's been, you know, we had one defeat in a run of seven games. It would be ridiculous to suggest that now. And I do think there's a massive overreaction. But when... When this keeps happening, every bloody time, I mean, Palace away is another example of this. We Obviously, we did get the equaliser in the end late on. You could argue we were one down going to the late, late on into the game away from home there. And we were one, we were level going into it here. So in a way, we got the same points we would have got going into injury time pretty much against Palace this season. I'm not saying either was deserved, but I'm just saying that, you know, kind of we, we, were, we were one down despite all our dominance away from home to them. Um, my, I've been trying to think of a game I can remember that where one team has dominated so much and the other team has won. And the only one I've come up with is Swindon in the playoff. And they absolutely battered us for over two legs, especially, but certainly the away one. Away from home, I think they hit the bar, hit the post, had one off the line, numerous saves from Roberts. And then we won, won it with a carpenter deflection, I think it was, from a long-range shot. And it, about our only shot of the game. And that's the only game I can think of off the top of my head where the, involving Albion where the team 
one team has dominated quite so much as that and actually managed to, you know, kind of actually managed to lose it. And we did manage to lose it. I mean, we were, it was all our own fault, that second goal. What, you know, from Ben White's ridiculous clearance all the way to the point of whatever Dan Byrne was doing at the end. There were so many points where that could have been, even taking a cynical foul and making sure he didn't break. You know, yeah. there's so many points in that, that time where we could have done something about it and we didn't. And the same with the first goal, we could have, you know, we should have cut it out. And both of them were well-taken goals, but they were both our own fault. And that was the worry. I really hope this is a one-off and not a sign that we're going to, we're going to, you know, go back to our old ways. And my final point for now is anyone who has been criticising Webster can shut up now because that's what happens when Webster's out. That is, you know, Villa didn't have the, barely had the ball, so couldn't do anything. But Webster is a massive miss for us. And anyone who can't see that now can, you know, can just basically kind of, well, what, what, what do you know about football, basically? Because yeah. he's really yeah. our best defender this season and he's one of our best players. And anyone who gives him stick from now on can shut up. Yeah, that's a huge point. I think um, he's probably our best defender, to be honest with you. Oh, uh, just just in, in, yeah, with, with the, in, in a defensive sense. I mean, you can talk about Lampton, what he does as a defender going forward and whatever. Also going forward, hey, well, he carries the ball really well. And we but, didn't... Exactly. But Webster even does that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a massive miss. And we, we have been unlucky in certain respects. Obviously, we mentioned Lampton there. Um, solid march, miss him and Webster off the bat and still not have Lampton back or anything like that as a compensation for it. Um, that doesn't help for sure. Um, yeah, I remember your... the bigger miss now because Veltman's been so good that we're almost yeah. not feeling the loss of Lampton. Yeah, but, exactly. But Alzate isn't, or, or Burn or whatever, he's no replacement for March. Yeah, and no, I, I think Veltman was man of the match um, yesterday. Oh, yeah. uh, just going back to you, Peter, according to the BBC, you, you highlighted this to me that they are, um, their ratings are even more preposterous than Mr. Smith's um, yeah. idea of the game. I, I don't know what game they were watching. They must be in the cuckoo land. Well, it's not. They it's gave Benteke. Voting, though. That's why. It's, it's, it's people, it's people oh, is that what it is? Website and voting. That's why it's yeah. so random. Yeah. Yeah, so ne- nearly all of the people voting are Palace fans who are Probably, wanting yeah. to fo- go on to whatever they can to, uh, to yeah, rate the their highest, team. The highest Albion rating was lower than the lowest Palace rating, despite the fact we'd absolutely hammered them. Yeah, which is ridiculous. And that was Feltman, I presume, but uh, yeah, was, who, who, was, who was the man of the match, in my opinion. Feltman was he, by far the best player on the pitch, not even close. I mean, it, it's yeah. not even a question about it. How on earth he didn't get a man of the match last night is beyond me. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah. much simple, yeah, much of a, you know, a, a something, you know, kind of something to turn around from last night from him, but it still would have been at least a comfort, you know, something for him. But yeah, yeah. He, he has been our best player for months now, probably, since he's really come into the team regularly. I think, Andy, this was pretty much, apart from the very obvious bit at the end, this is pretty much a replica of the game earlier in the season, wasn't it, in terms of the fact that they were dreadful the whole way through the game, apart from, as I said, Brazilian defending. Um, they had one chance and took it. We get back on terms, um, albeit earlier in the game this time. Um, it, it was looking very, very familiar, wasn't it? Um, except for the fact we went a stage worse. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean... I think time to reflect on it today. I mean, you actually, I mean, last night was ridiculously one-sided if you're looking at, you know, the amount of touches mm. they had in that box, you know, two, and they both went in. Um, I mean, it was ridiculous last night, but you do see a lot of games, you do see a lot of um, games where the, where one team has decided, right, we're not going to play, we're just going to, we're going to defend the whole time. We're going to set up. So, you know, very similar to um, 
some of the matches we played under Chris Hutton, like um, you know when we would go to like Man City or you know that famously at Tottenham where it was Rourke's drift, where basically where we barely got out of our eighteen yard box mm. the entire game, and it and you and you see teams do this um, particularly against teams like Man City or you know. Um, you know, Liverpool, whatever. You know, when, when you know when Liverpool were good, and um, and then and then the so-called better t- better side has to then spend the entire game trying to figure out how they're going to create that little space. I mean, quite often Man City will just end up winning a game like by one or two goals, but it's taken them like an hour to carve out the opportunity, and you know they've got the fleet-footed players that basically only need one touch with like no room in a penalty box. Yeah, I think score. that's a big difference there because most teams don't do it against Brighton. They do it against, you know, the big teams who've got that quality, don't they? And they yeah, so this this is, this is what happened last night. Palace were basically had, had thrown the, the, the towel in before before the game. I mean, it's quite incredible that, 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 that with their record against us and with their position in the league and, and the history of the fixture, that they would approach that game in such a you know fearful fashion um which i think is actually a, a compliment to us i mean which of course makes the outcome of the game even more you know mind-numbingly frustrating and awful i mean it does make you want to headbutt the wall but um but, but they but they had they had no intention of playing and when and when they set everybody up behind the ball i mean I know it does sound like an excuse, but when you've got when you've got those ten players in front of you, you know it means that there is less space for us to play in. It's less opportunity for you to run past players, less opportunity for you to get the ball through three or four players who are standing in front of you. I mean, the ball isn't just going to magically go in. It doesn't matter who you are, unless you are like Messi or Aguero or someone like that who just has a, a you know Ronaldo is just literally a genius but we don't have players of that quality we you know we've got the players we've got and they're good players this is a good team and last night despite all the howls and furies we played well we were much much we were the better team last night but but you know if Gary Cahill is throwing his body in front of the ball or Coyote is like sticking like glue to Neil Morpace that means that when he turns there's literally just a player in front of him where the where his foot where the ball is going to go you know mm. i mean it, it's it's not that easy and and the solutions aren't that easy you have to you have to tease out you have to tease out opportunities and you have to pull people out of position and stuff and you don't get to do it that often now we did actually do it on a couple of occasions last night where we did not take advantage and you know, for me, Adam Lallana, two very, very good chances. One of which was just the finish was criminal, and I chuck a bucket of water over his head for it in the dressing room. The one where he ballooned it over the bar should have been at least on target, but it should have been a goal. And the one he had previous as well, he should have done a lot better with. Welbeck also had a sharp, a good sharp chance. Um, after Veltman's ricochet shot, should have done better there. 
And I would say that those were probably the three best chances. I think that the sort of Trossard melee, again, like, you know, Gator, it, it was hard for him to get the ball past Gator for that first stop. And then again, there's like four or five, there's millions of people in, in that area. I mean, you know, you can't sort of defy the laws of physics and have the ball just go through, literally go through players. Um, so, yeah, it was frustrating, but Palace just, um, you know, built a brick wall in front of their goal and we and we only breached it once. Um, and that was a very sharp, good finish by um, by uh, by Veltman. And really, that uh, only came... Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, and that really only came about from like one of the rare pieces of broken play in their penalty box where Welbeck had got onto the defender. I think it was Kuati, but who then ended, who just mm-hmm. then sort of nudged the ball towards Veltman, and then it was a very very smart finish. Yeah. Um, but they, but there were very few. So yeah, I mean, you keep, people are sort of saying, oh, we had twenty five shots and only five on target. Well, there's a reason for that. I mean, on. On uh, two occasions, two extremely poor shots, but on many other occasions, just people getting in the way. And you know, we we absolutely threw the kitchen sink at them last night. That team showed a desire to win, and that's what I want to see our team do. I want to see I want to see a team really, really go for it, and and they absolutely did. Now, actually, by overgoing for it, that actually was our downfall because where I would, if you're gonna, if I'm gonna make a criticism of of the way that we played in that game last night, I think we got sucked in too much into throwing everybody in into the attack where maybe you know they should learn the lesson from last night. Look, well, okay, we don't need to attack with ten outfield players. We can, mm. you know, maybe. Just remind the you know the back three that maybe you know we should be keeping an eye on the potential break because that because that's what that's what did us in the end. Uh, mm. I think I think their second goal. I just think we were knackered. I mean the white thing was just I, it was just bizarre. But I think he was just swinging his leg and burn and burn had gone. I mean he, mm. I don't think he had the energy to even turn round once once the ball got crossed in. But you know, you could you could look at every stage of that goal where a, an Albion player could have done something different. I don't think it's fair to really sort of blame one person. It was just a collective collective yeah. failure. Well, you've you've described the the Brian Gold already, which was the equaliser on about the fifty fifth minute. Um, just going through where where the game was decided, the two Palace goals. If we take it chronologically, twenty um, eighth minute, um, they get the first one break down the right from basically the halfway line onwards. Um, I think Burns partly to blame at the beginning of this move because he lets him get goal side of it, if you can call it goal side that far out, goal side of him from the off, which means he's always trying to play catch up, which is at that stage, not a huge threat, admittedly, but he's, he's allowed to then run the whole distance, running alongside our defenders, and he gets all the way down to the byline. Um, now, Burn maybe you know, once he's on the chase, maybe he can't catch up. Fair enough. He did try and stay with him. Couldn't quite get there. Um, so there's a, there's two possible elements of criticism there, letting him get into an advanced position to start with. 
and maybe not being able to cut the cross out, you could say. Um, the second phase of it is that Dunk is then in the middle without a player with him, who I think possibly could have done a bit better to cut that out. It looks like he'd decided to commit himself to getting closer to burn and therefore to try and snuff out a cross should it come in. He failed to do that. So there's an element of blame for him. And I do think Ben White's to blame for not being strong enough. He, yeah. It's a clever goal from a, from a striking point of view. Absolutely, you'd say it's a good goal. Makes a long break, gets to the byline, crosses it in. Clever finish, as they analysed on the on the programme at Gus Poise, of course, in the studio for Sky. Um, seems to be our bogeyman when it comes to games, doesn't it, uh, with Palace. Um, anyway, he, as he described it, he used his body to, to create enough space to keep White off him, but also to use the same body at the same time to then hook a the sort of goal I've seen a few times in the Champions League. It's those kind of goals, isn't it? Those slick, efficient use of space um, in a tight scenario. Um, from a attacking point of view, brilliant. And it's, you know, it's their new guy, gets off the mark, hunky-dory, everyone's happy in the palace end, um, so to speak. But from our point of view, yeah, White's got to be stronger there. He's got to be touched tied to him a little bit more. Make him do something else. Make him hold it up and have to turn. Maybe you can then get another block on it. Or Sanchez could maybe close it down from that scenario. Um, it's, yeah. I don't want to be too harsh on him because it was a clever, it was a clever finish as well. But I think off the back of having let the cross come in to then not deal with that cross, it's very, very disappointing. I mean, views on that one, guys. I mean, Peter? I think it was a very poor goal from our point of view. I mean, yeah, I agree. It's one that Palace would say, yeah, great finish, great goal. Um, I agree with you. I think all three of them were at fault, probably equally. Dunkey, I think, Mm. if anything, maybe almost most, because he should have had the common sense and experience to move away from the situation to understand that he could be the middle ground between the you know, to cut out any sort of cross. There's no way AU was going to get enough ground on Burn to cut inside or anything like that. So, you know, he, he hmm. by, by basically running alongside Burn meant if the cross went in, he'd have as little chance of cutting out as, um, as Burn did as well. So yeah. uh, he, should have, yeah. he should have cut in a bit. Burn should have, yeah, never let him ahead of him in the first place and and White should have done more. I actually think it's a, re- a really clever goal in the sense it's not one I would see us scoring. I think if we were doing, in that situation, we wouldn't, just run forward down the wing for starters. We'd try and cut inside and stop and wait for other players. And even if we did cross, I don't think any of our strikers have got the confidence to take that first time like he did. I think they'd try and hold it up and try and turn in the area and shoot. And then the chance potentially gone as well from that point. So it was a really, yeah, really well-worked goal, but yeah, terrible defending. from the, And the sort of defending we've not been doing for the last, since Wolves really, you know, we need to, well, barring that ridiculous Leicester winner, We've really not been doing that defending. We've been putting our, our bodies on the line. We've been getting stuck in. And, yeah, it was disappointing to see because Palace had offered absolutely nothing until that point. They, I don't think... I think that touch was their first in our box, wasn't it? So, they just, Yeah, exactly. They, mm. they hadn't offered anything. It's worth saying, for all of that, the pathetic stats they've got for attacking yesterday, that it doesn't improve on one dodgy penalty as their only shot in the, in the home game. So they had tripled the number of shots this time and they were all actually legitimate ones, although the, the Benteke one from distance was nowhere near goal. So I mean, it's yeah, even, it. even worse at Selhurst. They had like one, one, que- one, well, not even questionable penalty. I mean, terrible penalty. I still don't understand how that was given. And weirdly, in some ways, I'm more annoyed still about Selhurst than last night because just because it was so unjust that they got that goal. And yeah, yeah, it was yeah a- exactly. They 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 edged us out. Um, although as, as gutting as they were, were legitimate. The, the penalty at Selhurst was one of the worst decisions I've seen since VAR's been put in. Yeah, you can if if you can if you're blaming our players. 
then that's one thing, isn't it? You'd think we could have done better, have a go at them, fine. But if it's if it's not even anything of our doing, that is yeah. undoubtedly more frustrating because we were ripped off. It's like Lamps yeah. breathing on the guy at the far post on Batchway, and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of the worst yeah. I've seen. And that was their that's own, ridiculous. That was their only shot game that still has. So they, they they've improved by three times this yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the stats are ridiculous. In that first game, as you said, one shot on goal, they score because it's a gifted penalty. In this game, two shots on goal, two goals. It's a ridiculous. The chances of that happening are are ridiculous. As you said, you get... was a long range one from Benteke, which went wide. The start, I, I, well, hmm. I, partly kind of amused me and partly depressed me more, but apparently the four shots they've managed against us this season, it's the lowest ever by a, a team against another team across two games in a Premier League season. Yeah, I mean, you saw Carragher and Hoyt were laughing in the studio, not not in a scornful way against us or anything like that. They were just laughing at how ludicrously one-sided the game was. I mean, the stats, 75% possession to their 25. I think we had 70, 74 to 26 in the first game, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't looked at that. I was looking yesterday. I think all three games under Potter before, before yesterday were like 67% yeah. sort of possession. And we had loads yeah. more shots in both the games last season as well. Yeah, and in this game, 25 shots to three, five on target to two, 13 corners to none. Um, you know, all of the stats tell you... Opposition that, hey, for like something like two against us and like 50 or something, or 40 or something like that. Eight, hmm. 600 odd passes to 200 or something else as well. Yeah, so you'd, you'd have to say there's a, an element of misfortune about it, certainly. But uh, the fact that they happen to score a really good goal, you know, they got everything right just in that, yeah. that one moment for the first one. Um, let's talk about the second goal because well, the second goal. Was, well, talk about the first half still, technically. Um, oh, go I, on. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I agree with what Andy said about it. it wasn't really our shooting last night in some ways, especially in the first half. I think we had eight shots and they were all off target, but there was nothing really guilt edged. We had a number of times when we got in a good position and the final ball was just not good enough. It was too hard or it was over here or it's a wrong decision. And that was what cost us, I think, a lot last night. It wasn't necessarily, yes, it was Ladana's finishing, but generally, I think it was the, the final ball that was a problem a lot of the time last yeah. night. I, I think I don't know. If, I don't know if you'll agree with this, guys. But um, the, the decision making, I think, quite often we were we were picking the wrong pass, or we were trying to work room for a shot, or take an extra touch, or change back, or not see somebody on the far side, not spreading the play in the right positions at the right times enough. There were there were things, despite our dominance, things that we could have done better to better use that dominance and. Uh, yeah, the first half, the shots were just speculative, weren't they, really, I think, pretty much. Um, and as Addy said earlier, you know, you're crowded out. It's not easy to carve out the space against a team that's sitting deep. And I think the one time that they came forward a bit more, apart from the goal, um, they lost possession and we were on the attack. And we, I think we made a bad choice and it petered out eventually. Um, or it might have been the one where Veltman cut, cut across and it. Didn't, didn't go to anything. But that was the first time we'd opened them up for space because they'd come out of us. And, you know, we've struggled all season. People have said, oh, people have found out about Potter's tactics now and uh, they know how to play against us. Well, they do if they're unambitious clubs. Uh, Sheffield United, Burnley, Palace, West Brom, uh, sides like that that have played and set up to defend against us. Yes, but in terms of... Um, the better sides, we can get points. Having a bad run of games to come, in theory, isn't necessarily a bad run of games for us, is it, for example? Yeah. But, um, I'm, there, I'm not sure, to be fair, saying West Brom and Sheffield United as those defensive ones, are actually that fair. I mean, West Brom, second half, were actually the better team, I'd say, and we 
if anything, holding on slightly at the end at home. And Sheffield United, similarly, they were, even though they were down to 10 men, were, you know, although they were obviously sitting back reasonably, they were counterattacking and actually looked more dangerous than us from actually looking. Hmm. Yeah, yeah West Brom was... Hmm. <laughs> against yeah. against Sheffield United, we, we did create two opportunities to score in the last 10 yeah. minutes, uh, both, of, both from, like, about six inches out. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, we should have, yeah, we should have, um, yeah, we should have won that game. We did create the chances to win that game. We didn't take them. That was the players not finishing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the um, the second goal, then in this game, I mean, well, the second half in general. Just to talk about that, I mean, we came out. I think we were more progressive with the attacks. I think we we got out them more. There was definitely more threat. There was the scramble in the box we talked about. There was obviously the um, the goal itself in the 55th minute. Um, there were other dangerous chances. Um, even Jahan who a lot of people criticised as being one of the subs that came on, whether it was the right decision. I mean, he got a shot just blocked, didn't he? Which looked like he was placing it to the goalie's right, his his own left. Um, and it got blocked and, and went off just past the post on the other side. Um, other players got close to, to things as well. Um we definitely looked better in that half, I think. And I must admit, you know, having to chase two goals, essentially, that we really wanted to win the game from being 1-0 down was looking at all order. Once we got that first goal in the 55th, I thought, OK, now we've got over half an hour here to to get at them and get the other goal. And I've got to say, I would have been equally, well, not equally, but pretty much as frustrated had we just got the draw in this game because we, we had so much domination in the, in the match. But, yeah, ultimately, we couldn't break them down. Ended up getting caught on the break towards the end. There were two or three things wrong with that goal from our point of view. Again, it was well taken from the point of view of the shots from Benteke. Again, he picks one moment <laughs> in, a, in a rare breed of, of moments uh, in his career at Palace uh, and beyond, actually, um, to hit, hit a worldie against us. But... The problem started early on, didn't it? White, as Andy said, probably quite tired at the time. He's just played a really stupid hoofball over him and it's just got taken up by Palace. Even at that point, you've still got the defence set up perfectly well to deal with the potential threat. You've got three players, goal side, our, our players, goal side of any of the Palace attackers. There is the possibility of pace catching us out at that point. The attack goes down the left-hand side. Veltman's running with him. There's a bit of an argument that he could have possibly cut the cross out, but the, but the nature of the cross was a loopy one. It had gone up very high, almost ridiculously high, not, not what you would imagine would be the best move. However, they didn't have players in the box, and that's why he did it, I think. Um, they got a big man at the back post, Benteke. Very little else in the box. A couple of players arriving just to the edge with Albion players around them that could cover potentially for any rebounds. And for me, I think Dan Byrne is, is largely to blame here. I know he, he may be tired, but he's, his positioning is all wrong for this move. He's, first of all, he's, he's tight to his, his man, Benteke. There's not any, many other threats around him. So he can afford to focus on the one player and really get at him. And what Sanchez has done, he, he's further out and steps back to the goal line. Some people have said, oh, we shouldn't be right back on the goal line. His left foot's actually just inside the goal line at one point. And people have said, oh, maybe Sanchez is to blame there. But what Sanchez is doing, I've realised, is he's just protecting that near post in case something deflects, blocks, or 
just just is powerful and catches him out on the near post. What Dan Byrne should be doing is just t- being touch tied to stop the ball being able to hit that sweet spot, which unfortunately Benteke was able to find the only point he could have got the goal from. Um, but Byrne's position was wrong. He he first of all he's tied to his man, then he drifts a bit, then the ball comes up in the air, and because it's a really high one. He's then lost sight of his man and the ball because the ball's going over his head. He's moved forward, so he's a little bit away from Benteke. And when he turns round, he makes a step to his right for some reason best known to himself, which just creates a bit of space for Benteke to start to realise he's going to be able to get his shot to the far post, which is where a good striker should take a shot in general anyway. And because he's, he's got the gangly motion and he's kind of leaned at this awkward angle, he's created the room, despite his big legs, his long legs, um, to allow room for that shot to come in. So his positioning, his body shape and his tightness to the man are all wrong there. He then tries to cover it. You know, he does his best from that point. And maybe it is tired legs talking, as, as Andy's alluded to. Um, but, but really, he's made a rod for his own back there because he's moved out of the position he should have been in in the first place for me. Um, there are other defenders there who can deal with the threat further in front of where he is, nearer to the crosser. And if the ball had gone to a rebound, you've got, I think it's Dunk who's in the middle, who's who's the next, next man in central position, uh, fairly close to the goalkeeper. He can come out and block any potential rebound scenario. So if Byrne tries to close Bentaki down, blocks it, and it ricochets through, Dunk it theoretically then steps out and blocks the next space. And that's where the next narrative should have gone if it needed to. Um, but because he left that room, he just gave Benteke the opportunity to, to to hit it where he had to hit it. And unfortunately, where he did manage to do. And that's that's my analysis of it. Would well, you disagree with that or, or add or take away well, from that at all? No, I wouldn't disagree with it at all. I mean, he, he was out of position. Um yeah. But I don't think it. I, I I would just say I think he's out of position because he just ran out of gas by the time he by the time he got there. You could see it in his eyes when he when he turns round. I mean, he's mm. it's just like punch drunk from running. I spent that second half. He's running up and down that touchline mm. the the whole time. I mean, he would, Dan Byrne had a very very good game and. You're right, he, he was out of position and, you know, you're a professional footballer, you've got to pay 95, 96 minutes these days, you've got to be on it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep the, uh, the sympathy, um, <laughs> we'll keep the sympathy a bit limited there, Dan. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't think it was a conscious error. I just think it was an error of, of tiredness and, to be honest, you know, in elite sport, those are the margins. You give someone an inch, they'll take that mile. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a shame because I thought Dan, I thought Dan had a flipping great game yesterday. I thought he worked exceptionally hard. I thought the quality of his crossing into the into the box was was superb. But he got done for the he got done for the first goal. Where I think that's an example, a prime example of how we overcommit. <laughs> the fullback, the attacking fullbacks, and we, hmm. and you know, and we, we know, we know he's not, we know he's not the quickest. He, he, he does struggle in that in those one-on-one situations. If the game's in front of him, he's he's very very good. But when he's chasing the game, 
Yeah, that is that That's is right. not his strong suit, and and he is he is that is a weakness. That is a weakness in his game, and he does occasionally get exploited, um, like it did last night. Like it did um, last night. Um, but I fell for Dan Burn last night. I thought I thought he I thought he gave everything, and uh, yeah, I mean you know. Yeah, that, it, it's a bit I mean, like the Wolves it, it, game, it, it, isn't it? It, is, really? it is what it is. I think. I think you can. I think you. I think you can. I think there are some. I think there are some overall general lessons that we that we can learn from this game. But I also think that sometimes you can just overanalyze it. And I thought your analysis was absolutely spot on. You you pick you picked apart every single thing that he did wrong, and he did do those things wrong. Um, yeah, but. It's the 96th minute. He's absolutely knackered, and he—I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I would, uh, um, I would agree, I'd agree with that. I think the thing—the thing for me, I was going to say, is that if if you go back to the Lalana chances, if Lalana takes one or both of those chances, if both did occur after he takes the first one, um, you're talking about a different game. We would then be able to sit deep. It would be about defensive substitutions, then, wouldn't it, as well? So you probably. Potentially, you might not even have Dan Byrne on the pitch. He might have been rested if he worked hard. Um, so, so one thing before on the bench. Yeah, it, that, yeah. That would one be thing with him a poster actually. He didn't have Karpovnik on the bench yesterday. Now, assuming he's not injured, I, I yeah. don't know why one spare defender is not on the bench. Well, I was going to come to that next actually, and I, I agree with them, what Andy said. I do think, ironically, Byrne has did a lot of things well, and he's clearly a, a manager's man, and I, I mean that in the nicest sense that he. He's a hard worker. He clearly has a good attitude and he tries his best. And he's not hes not a bad player at all. But I think the problem is when he's the first choice, that's where you're into difficult territory. Now, we've we have had, as, as you've alluded to there, Andy, we've had Alzate being committed too far forward. And, and I think Alzate's struggling in a left wing-back role or a left midfield role, if that's what that was at certain points. Yeah. It's not his forte, is it, really? He's, he's better right side if he's going to go wider and he's better in the middle. Um, in various positions of advancement in the central area. Well, the left side is not his game. And I think horses for courses, as much as you can, if he is fit, Kobovnik should be maybe playing if he's going to play that system, uh, given that Webster's not available and Burn had to play as the centre-back of that scenario. Um, yeah, I, I just thought that's where we had a problem. Uh, and obviously we are missing like Solly see, Marsh. Aren't we? I would like to see Kobovnik given a chance. I was, yeah, he did well, didn't he? In that I game. was very impressed with his um, debut. Hmm. Um, I thought, you could yeah. argue that Karpovnik's young and only just in the squad, but then Alzheimer's yeah. pretty young and isn't a left, left wing back. So surely you'd rather have a young player who is actually playing in position than one who isn't playing in position. You know, it, yeah. And, and he I'll seems to have a cool enough head, doesn't he? Yeah, he's not had the season he had last season. I don't know, what, what, whatever's happened, is it he's been moved around too much or is it because... You know, he's he's just you know he's a young player, and they have good runs and bad runs. But he's not really had the, the season when he, as compared to last year, when he broke through. And he obviously had an injury over the end of last season, beginning of this season, or, or start and into the start into the preseason, and had a good, had a run in the first four games, and then got dropped after that, didn't he? And he kind of, I feel a bit sorry for him because he's kind of then since then barely played in his actual position. And in fact, I think Liverpool was the one of the few games where he was played in position. Yeah. Ironically, he scored and we won. So. Yeah. And then he's out of the team next game, pretty much. So, hmm. yeah. Well, at this stage, I'll just I'll just bring in a couple of um, quotes as well from uh, regular contributors who uh, 
who aren't on tonight. Andy Bravery uh, sent in a couple of messages as he couldn't make it. Uh, said, shame he can't be joining us. But he said, um, to put a positive spin on it, he said, we've ultimately, we've lost our first in seven here um, to a last-minute goal against a run of play in a game that historically has little to do with form, uh, as proved uh, last night, and against a team that have a good win record at the Amex. Um, Fulham have won two of their last six, and so have we. He then went on to add, um, re last night, I thought we looked better with Welbeck up front. Do you, um, do you think Lamptey could play left wing back or indeed Veltman? I wonder what was going through White's mind when he launched the ball, which obviously we've covered that already, uh, leading to the to the winner, when his usual instinct would have been to get it on the floor. And he, he also adds, Ali J, why did he come on last night? Well, maybe because he scores great goals and last looked like um, he needed... And last looked last night, I think he means, looked like he needed it. Um, he did have one shot that was well blocked, which I mentioned earlier on. Um, and he said the margin between hero and zero is, is a tight one. And Richard Holberton also joined in. He said um, both their goals were avoidable, sloppy. And with all due respect to Benteke, I doubt he could repeat that if he tried it a hundred times. The lesson of our winning run is that if we can't score more than once, we can't afford to allow sloppy goals. We miss Webster and March in this respect. Hope it's just a blip. Um, so, you know, that's a couple of pointers from other people, and um, I can't can't disagree with with most of that. Um, really, um, any any thoughts on that? No, pretty much sums up quite a lot of what we've said already, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think the and I completely agree that Palace defended in numbers, and we're going to throw people in front of the ball. I think the lesson to take from last night, and it's a pretty obvious lesson, is. If teams are going to sit back, do not give them a bloody goal or two goals in our case. But the second mm. one was so late, we'd have time to get back into it anyway. But don't give them the goal. That means they can sit even deeper with something to hold on to. And we've done it a few times. And it's interesting what you guys are saying about Burn being tired, because we were talking earlier also about it's not the first time we've gifted chances to teams. Um, you know, we, late mm. on and the, you know, the Wolves one and the Fulham one both had chances to win it late on. And if they'd taken, they could, they, you know, they could even have taken theirs. And it's, it's almost like, and Leicester, of course, obviously was a ridiculous gift, although obviously the cup rather than the league. Yeah, a lot so, of late goals, isn't there? Um, Newport in the cup, Man United in the league. There's, yeah, and that's just in the second half. We've conceded loads of first half. Yeah, Man United uh, late goals well, as well. Both, both, both mm. goals. Two of the goals against Man United in the league were end of a half, weren't they? Blackpool in the cup where we were turned off at before half time. Yeah, I think that is. I think that is the overall. That is the. The big lesson that is something that we should be picking up on, um, because because we we attacked so much last night, it, it, you know, we it does leave us vulnerable in those things. So I, I think when we're, when the game's in front of us, I think I think we defend brilliantly, and and that's why we concede very few chances. I think our xG against or whatever it is is actually pretty low, and there's a good reason for that. We play well. When, when the game is in front of us. But when we do go on these big attacking sprees, we sometimes end up, you know, the game is behind mm. us and we're, and, we're, and we're chasing it. And we're, you know, and we are vulnerable in those situations. We don't handle, we don't deal with them particularly well. And you're right, it's not the first time we've done it. And, you know, as much as I am a massive Potter fan and have been totally irritated by a lot of the criticism that, that he's been getting I think I think that what that criticism is a valid one and I think that's something that that he does need mm. to look at 
and make sure we we avoid doing that doing that again um i mean it's it's really annoying this game because i thought we played i thought we played really well i don't think we played badly at all and i just thought in a you know in a in a you know in a you know in a, the derby game to really see it to really see us want to win it that desire to win the effort you know those players are feeling as bad as we are today um, yeah absolutely no yeah. absolutely know that and absolutely that's that's what we want that, that that's our team yeah, yeah. And we're, pr- we're proud of them. We're, we're, we're playing well, aren't we? We are, yeah. apart from the finishing. We're playing well. We're, we're a good team. And I think you look at, you look at Palace and while they'll, while they'll be having cheeky grin, cheesy grins about having, um, pulled off a, a daylight robbery scenario or floodlight robbery, uh, last night. Um, ultimately deep down, I think when you look at the bigger picture from a Brighton point of view, there's a lot to be positive about. And from a Palace point of view, there's a lot to be worried about uh, for reasons we talked about before. Aging squad, people out of contracts, Roy, what they're doing, they're not, not, not quite sure where they're going. There doesn't seem to be any direction, big picture. Um, I would be. Uh, we have to stay up yeah. first. That's exactly. the big, yeah, exactly. You know, elephant well, thing we can't, you know, if we, if we don't, if we go down all this young squad, exciting squad is, is for nothing. And even if we stay up, if we don't sign a bloody striker, who's going to take our chances, hmm. it's all for nothing as well. well I wouldn't say it's for nothing. I wouldn't say it's for nothing, but I, I would say it would be a well, severe dent in our plan. We'll yeah. struggle in the same way we do now if we don't sign a striker. I think it's clear. I think it's kind of... And, I, and I'm, I'd be happy if the club sell Basuma or sell White to cover it, because I think we've got more cover in those positions. And I think we need to sign that one striker who's going to take that. Yeah. Andy? Well, I was, I was about to make the, the, the very same point. I think the way that this this squad has now been constructed and the way that we've we've kind of overcompensated in certain positions um particularly in the middle of the middle of the pitch um i think we will be in a position to finally cash in on one of our premium assets um and and i don't think it would hurt the team that much if we, if we did if we were in the in the position of of maybe Selling, selling one 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 of these players on to provide the funds that we so sorely lack to address that that forward position. And it's not like getting in, you know, an expensive striker is going to be the panacea to all our problems. Because we've seen plenty of other teams waste forty or fifty million pounds on complete donkeys. But um, <laughs> but 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 it, but you know, but it is an area that 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 we that we that we underinvest in, and I think the investment we've We've put into the middle of the pitch and at the back, you know, that provides the platform for those guys at the front now. And I think it's, it's a strong enough base for us to do it. And yeah. like, will we stay up? I, yeah. I, you know, what do we need? We need like three wins and a, and a, and a few draws. I think we're going to, I think we're going to do it. I'm not blase about it um, because we've got to go and do it. We've got to go and win those games. And as we've seen, we, we make a meal of winning. Um, but I have confidence in this in this group of players to achieve that goal. Whether whether we do it by the skin of our teeth or whether we do it with a couple of games to go, I I couldn't say. Um, mm. But I do think we'll do it, and I do think we'll end up selling somebody, maybe Basuma. And I have to say, I mean, I actually thought Basuma was quite poor last night. Yeah, I thought he looked. He looked. I thought he looked very lethargic and leggy. 
and not maybe as involved as some of the other players. Because there was a lot of very, very busy performances last night, particularly like, you know, Trossard, Mope running around, you know, like, you just like great intensity from, from them. Burn, uh, it, it, you know, Veltman, just unbelievable. Cool as a cucumber, what a star he was. I mean, but a lot of activity. He just, I thought that I thought some I thought there was a couple of times where he didn't get win challenges he should have won, mm. uh, and maybe he didn't control the ball as well as, as as he has done in other games. I don't know why he didn't. Perform yeah, he, he looked quite lethargic, didn't he? It's almost like the, the, the bad side of Paul Pogba kind of yeah, emulated there. It was that sort of thing. I don't know thing, why, why it was, but I I mean when the Lana came on, I was hoping he was going to come on for Basuma rather than McAllister. Mm. I mean, he went for the more like-for-like like attacking type thing. But I thought, yeah. McAllister, I thought McAllister was was good again last night. Again, busy, 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 busy. Always in Yeah. Love him. He's great. And whilst I've been saying we should, we should need to stand back a little bit, I thought he stood back a little bit too much. But, yeah. but you know, I don't know. If someone gave us £50 million pound for him, in, in yeah. summer, and we were able to reinvest that elsewhere in the squad. Then it maybe wouldn't be absolutely, the... and that's that's going to be the way that we have to do it, isn't it? But the finances are there; we're not going to splash out and keep all our assets. Uh, that's simply not going to happen, I don't think. But um, one thing, just I'll go back to you, Peter, in a minute. But just just very quickly, I was going to say the, the one thing is, if we did happen to go down, which I I'm still completely convinced we're not going to, even though it is possible. Um, Ironically, perhaps in one way that could work in our favour in as, in as much as we could get in a player to play in the championship who becomes the next Wally Watkins, Ivan Tony type who cuts his teeth in the championship with us and then goes up with us so that we don't have to spend 35 million on that very same um, character, maybe. Who knows? Anyway, Peter, back to you. Um, yeah, I was going to say was if we did sell either Basuma or White, I think we already have a pretty good base without signing anyone. We've already got a back three potentially of Veltman. Duncan Webster yeah. got two wing backs of Lamptey in March, and I moved White mm. forward if Basuma went, um, and then White and Grosh, and, and that's before you even mentioned the likes of Karbovnik, um, Byrne, uh, Moda, Moda, yeah. as well. I say, yeah. you know, we've all got. Mm. So I, th- I think we've got. We might want to bring in maybe one more midfielder or one more defender if, and maybe even Clark stays rather than going back to Derby. You know, we've got and or one of the young defenders. So we've got, I think, in those positions enough enough quality to make the first team I might bring a bit more cover in at the back. So I reckon we can get away with hopefully selling one of those two. And if we can bring that striker in and maybe one more creative player as well, we've got more than enough quality in that in that area. I mean, you look at the number of players we've had playing in central midfield this year, ignoring the actual central midfielders, White, Grosh, Lalana, who none of whom you'd obviously think of as midfield too, but have all managed there. My other, let's say my other frustration from last night, and it's of all the stats, it's like another one that stands out. 13 corners. I mean, we've, we've cut out the silly goals from set pieces, but we've not managed to get to become prolific from them. And we had 13 corners last night. And, you know, I don't really, you know, there, there was a few short ones and a few actually where there were a few scrambles, but I don't remember really any of like Dunk or Byrne or White having, a, or Veltman having a clear header on goal from any of them. There was, there, you know, I may have missed one, but, you know, we didn't really kind of, there were some decent deliveries, but they always seemed to get to them. And I don't necessarily think it was Grosh's delivery. I think it was more positioning sometimes. And to have 13 corners and not really bring a save from the keeper from any direct ones into the box is not, is not ideal. I mean, we've, yeah, we've managed to sort out the city conceding from corners, but I think Dunk's three goals about the only set piece yeah. we've scored all season, pretty much. Yeah. 
I'm just yeah. actually just sorry. Go on, go on, Andy. Oh yeah, no, I, I agree. It's frustrating. It's like it's what is the point in us having a corner? Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see why we do short corners now because like putting a ball in is is yeah. fairly seems fairly important. On the face, we have three centre backs. What are we, what are they doing? And also, you know, often Burn playing at left wing back as well quite often. So an extra, you know, big players in there. Why are we why are we struggling so much? You think that would yeah, we. What what was really frustrating for me last night as well was the fact that Palace have got a very consciously aware problem with defending set pieces, both of the corner variety and otherwise, and defending goals in the first five minutes. And we got ourselves at least one corner in the first five, I think it might have been two, and did nothing with them, continued to do nothing with the, the ones that came in later. Apart from one or two fairly good deliveries that they did well to defend, nothing came of it really. And as you said, a lot of them were short corners. Those are the areas they are weak on, and we we didn't exploit them, and that was disappointing. And the other thing I was going to say was, well, I was just going to say that um, Raymond, the gent, has, uh, has actually sent something on the Seagulls over London WhatsApp group, which is interesting. He's, he's basically summarised a few of the things we've already talked about, so I'll paraphrase it a bit. But he did say, um, of all the chances we had and missed, he said that the one that disappointed him most was Lalana's. He said one would have expected a player of his class to, to shoot on target or at least very close to it. He then says actually Russell coined a new phrase for his missed shot, a Lalana. I don't even remember doing that. I was probably too angry to note what I was saying at the time. And then Raymond went on to say, oh, I appreciate he's had relatively little game time this season, but hopefully he will bury the next good chance he gets. He said it must be frustrating for Potter seeing the team play some excellent football but making poor decisions in key areas and not securing the points we deserve and need. When he does in the short term, oh, sorry, what, what he does in the short term to address this is difficult to answer. The longer term solution must be to sign a quality striker or two. Um, I certainly think agree with that. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's just uh, another another view to throw in there. But um, back to you, Andy. Sorry, you were going to say something again. No. Um, maybe not. No, I'll, uh, well, <laughs> sorry. I'll tell you what, I am going to agree with all of, I'm, I'm going to agree with all of that. Um, I, those are those are actually main points. And I think, yeah, it must be frustrating for Potter to see the team that he's set up create these opportunities, and then, hmm. I mean, I, it is it is this whole re- this whole season is a stuck record, and it is infuriating. You do hmm. think, well, why why they say, well, you know, he missed those shots. I mean, they weren't partic- they weren't technically difficult ones for him to do he's a professional footballer massively experienced knows what to do he's got in the right position the team have created that opportunity you know what more there's nothing else the manager can do the guy isn't going to get his foot over the ball you know Get it. I mean, yeah, this was it. I mean, actually got into a bit of an animated debate with Raymond on the Zoom chat we on when we were watching the game yesterday. And, uh, you know, I think he was, he was, he was kind of, uh, seemed to be a bit critical of, uh, of Graham. And I was saying, what can you do? The, he's not training the players to, to shoot off target when we do get opportunities. He's not, you know, none of, none of the mistakes that, that happen. He might be doing that. Yeah, I bloody hope he isn't. Are you, are you in the know, training sessions? <laughs> yeah, we, 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 yeah, who knows? But we, we're setting up in an attacking format with, with with intent, as you said. We're very pleased with the way we play and, and with the intent we're showing in the games. And he cannot have any control over players of their standard um, who are of the right quality to at least be competitive in the division, doing things wrong, making decision, wrong decisions. There's There's certain bits of 
coaching you could do, obviously, and you can have shooting practice. And somebody said you can't be doing shooting practice. I think, come on, as if they're not going to be having shooting practice and doing attacking drills and defensive drills. And we've got good defenders as well to practice against. So, you know, for me... I mean, I, I think last night was the sort of game we bought Lalana in for to come yeah. on or yeah. to start yeah. or at the moment to come on for in the last half hour and be the one who, I mean, yeah, that last chance, as Andy said, was, was ridiculous. I mean, he, the guy literally slipped. If he'd taken a touch, he could have taken it away from the man and had a pretty much a free shot of goal, barring the keeper. Mm. But the keeper would have been quite, you know, not be able to you know, cover the whole area. He was literally brought in for those moments to create that thing, to take that chance. And last night... In fairness, he's missed a few few weeks and then he's been on the bench. So he's not played a lot, which might be part of the problem. But he should have been still been able to do a bit, do better with both of those chances, especially the second one. And and yeah, if we, I, I'm convinced if we'd taken that chance, we'd have won that game. I don't see Palace coming back from two one down personally. Yeah, I, I, the yeah. ambition or the quality to do it. Yeah, you know, and I think you know the, the, the game has happened. That we you know we. Uh, we, you know, we've got a big game on Saturday now, and um, mm. so we've just got to put this to bed. We, I think, you know, we, I think we have to keep in mind, particularly against West Brom, who actually, I think, have played some really nice football this this season. I do think their defence is bad. I think it's worse. I think it's worse than Palace's. Um, yeah. Um, but going forward. They're a threat. They've got some really good technical footballers that can transition the ball up the field really quickly. And um, I don't see West Brom putting 11 behind the ball. That, I mean, A, because the point's really no good to them. Yeah, they have they, to really, win. They, they do need to win. And they do have some tools to actually achieve that, to, to achieve that win. So I think they will attack us um, way more than, than Palace did, and you know that, you know that makes our defenders work harder. But I think it does give us more opportunities to score at the other end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's that's what we've got to do. We've got to capitalise on that. I think, and we're playing, of course, three o'clock on the Saturday. Fulham, uh, yeah, Palace are going to roll over and get their tummies tickled at midday on Sunday, no doubt. Um, so I think. Although Newcastle, of course, did lose at the weekend. So we're no worse off in terms of, you know, the head-to-head with them, so to speak. And they've got a seemingly slightly resurgent Wolves at home, 8 o'clock Saturday night. So, I mean, even if we if we can win the game on Saturday, um, we might be feeling a lot more comfortable, regardless of what happens on the Sunday, if Newcastle go on to lose that game Saturday night, because we would be what, four points and the goal difference better off against them, which would be comforting at least uh, to some degree. I, I don't see us going down, um, but and I don't want to look beyond this, this weekend's fixtures really, other than just to look at that and, and look at it and think, well, you know, you, you have to assume Fulham might win that and then things do get rather interesting regardless of whether we've won the match or not. Um, because they've then, Fulham have then got some tougher fixtures coming up, which may or may not be Good news. I don't know. Maybe they they like us. They prefer to play. Anyway, anyone more these days, it's pretty much a gimme, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. One one final point, just on Palace as well, before we finish the first part, is um there was an interesting graphic came up at the end of the game from um, Sky, um, to, looking at the Palace managers since they got promoted in 2013, and they've got um, their positions: 45 points, 11th; 48 points, 10th; 42 and 15th; 41 and 14th. 
And then um, under Hodgson, they they got 44 points and finished 11th. But if you remember, that's the season when they started with De Boer in charge. So they had the exact opposite of a head start on points. So to get 11th in that first not not full season he had was actually very impressive, I have to say, um, all things considered. But the interesting thing with that for me is that they got 49 points, um, but finished 12th the next year. And then last season, they got 43 points and finished 14th. And I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up slightly lower on both matters next season, if they stick with Hodgson. I wonder if they will. And if they don't, is it the better the devil you know? Is the change more of a risk? It's difficult to say. All I do know is all Palace fans seem to want a change pretty much all of them in the summer rather than now. Um, but it's going to be interesting. I mean, maybe in a, it's a blessing in a way if, um, if Palace keep clear of relegation now, survive, if we can survive, maybe it's good for us next year, A, to get revenge and B, they might be the sort of team we want in the division next yeah, year. Yeah, I, I think that it's a bigger risk for them to get rid of Hodgson than it is for us to get rid of Hutton or was for us to get rid of Hutton, mainly because mm. Hutton in the last six months was taking us down anyway and would have done if it wasn't for Cardiff missing up a couple of winnable games at the end. Um, whereas mm. Palace have always been, yeah, that bit bit further clear. And as you say, the last time they tried something different and tried to make it work, it failed spectacularly and they gave it like seven games or something like that. So yeah. I, I actually think that there's more chance than going down, but they probably longer term have to do it. I mean, they have to do it anyway because Hodgson... Hodgson is, um, you know, obviously getting a certain age anyway. The question yeah. is, and also with the number of players out of contract, I think they probably have to do it at some point. They might as well do it when a new person can bring more players in. The question then is, how far do you go? Do you go for someone similar to Hodgson, more experienced and that sort of thing? Or do you go for a young manager like we did with Potter and take the risk that then that could spectacularly backfire? Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering who it's going to be. I mean, Dyche and Howe seem to be yeah, I mean, up on the list of possible. Experienced mm. Premier League managers. A lot will depend, I think, on what Burnley offer how on uh, what Burnley offer Dyche and how much they're willing to invest these new owners who obviously have come in and saddled the club with a lot of debt. So it doesn't necessarily mm. vote that well. Um, because I imagine Dyche at some point will be looking around and saying, Well, if you're not gonna back me, I'm gonna leave because you can't keep performing miracles. Yeah. I mean how has brought some championship standard players in and done quite well with them for a period at Bournemouth. So he might be a good option for them. I don't know. Maybe we'll wait and see. Now as well and... well, that's just what we need, isn't it? A bogey man to, uh, in terms of results against, uh, to come in at Palace. Just what we need. That would yeah. be the worst case scenario, wouldn't it? Even if he doesn't do well for them overall, who knows? Anyway, we're going to take a break and then have a shorter second part where we're going to give um, our views on a few bits of footy news. Um, so we'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned, folks. Welcome back to part two of uh, Brighton Rock Podcast. Let's uh, move on to a slightly more uh, positive note to start off the uh, latest news update and some literally hot off the press news from a few minutes ago that Albion keeper Robert Sanchez has signed a new deal, which takes him through to the summer of 2025, which really positive news, guys. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. Well, you know, he's he's made a big impact already. Um, and it's... Yeah, and uh, it looks like he might go far, so it might be quite wise to uh, tie him up to a contract, given uh, given how much goalkeepers go for these days. So um, yeah, yeah, it's good, and it is nice to have a yeah a good news story today after you know after the dreadful 
Dave Arkell <laughs> with yesterday. Isn't it just God? Dear. Yeah, he, he's funny actually. Sanchez is, is brilliant news, and he, he's been in the on the websites, and I think he's been interviewed in the Argus and a couple of places uh, this week. So he's obviously like a big focal point this week. Um, he was talking about how he's might have a decision to make regarding Spain and England. He's eligible for both. Um, but interestingly, when he was talking on in one of the articles I read, um, that apparently Ica Casillas, who is his idol, even though he admits he's not the same kind of goalie, but he said he's his idol, obviously being a Spanish long-term international and so on, apparently is, um, has been keeping an eye on his career and, uh, and sent a good luck and a sort of like a, a, a friendly greeting message to uh, whoever it was that was interviewing him for one of the interviews. Um, apparently the interviewer knew Casillas and um, so there's you know glowing references and he said it was nice to get some well wishing from him as well but brilliant news to get the uh, signature I think that's that's great um some other good news long longer term wise in terms of uh, from now is uh, the the announcement Boris yesterday Monday um of course coming out with his latest roadmap plans for what's going on as far as it relates to football and to the Albion essentially he's announced that uh, sports on a major scale outdoors uh, can resume from the 17th of May, all being well, uh, as, as things stand at the moment, um, which comes too late, doesn't it, for us to, to get a home game in this season. I think it's up to 10,000 they're talking about, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Is that right? Um, we've only got one away game scheduled after the, after that date. We have got a game on the 15th, which potentially as it's against City, could get postponed due to the FA Cup if City are still in the competition at the final stage. So we might end up with a rescheduled game against City uh, one evening in that midweek on yeah. the run-up to the final match of the season. Even though but, um, I wonder, unless, and I suppose conceivably if it's like massively important, but given the, the vagueness of the announcement and the fact that you know it could all move back a week or two, I wonder if most a lot of clubs will just say that's it for this season now, we're just going to accept that we're not going to have any live games yeah. and then just focus on getting everything sorted for next season, just because admin wise, sort everything out. And, you know, if you, if, if you get all your tickets sold for 10,000 people and then again, and then, you know, suddenly you're sold, you can't now because the government have moved it back a week, then you're going to look, you know, it's going to be quite frustrating. So I wonder, I mean, it may be wrong and maybe the clubs are desperate even for one game, but I wonder if, especially for those who are mid table and not really going anywhere, I wonder if they'll if they believe it's worth it, which Arsenal of course may well be who were playing last game of the season. I think the timing is more to do with possibly getting fans at the FA Cup final and seeing how that goes to seeing if um, we can get fans in at the Euros, um, which I'm not entirely sure, sure the dates of the Euros, but it's like June. It is in June, isn't it? Um, so mm. I know it was going to be going on at Glastonbury when I should have been there. Um, so they'll be looking to to get fans in into the Euros, especially if we end up hosting the entire tournament, which I can see as a possibility should the um, the COVID numbers proceed to be, you know, continue to be good. Um, probably with no fans travelling from Europe, but um, just sort of quarter-filled stadia in, in the, you know, in the UK, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Pretty clear to me that you can't have a, 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 a European Championship as they planned it. I mean, right. it's crazy to have everyone travelling around Europe, and you know, it's just yeah. I just there's no logic to it when you can have a country that can that can hold it. I just don't see. I mean, it's, it's going to be bad enough if people are travelling around the UK, but at least you can 
manage it and you know somehow whereas if it's in just in yeah or in every country and people are going from country to country but for every couple of days even potentially it just seems madness yeah i mean the other thing to put it in perspective i think part of what boris johnson said was he wants everybody of adult age to be vaccinated by i think it's the end of july i think he said didn't he um which when you know considering the rate of in, of vaccination uh, rollouts that we've been doing um and we're way ahead of the game in most countries <laughs> yeah the idea of other countries fans coming over seems fairly fanciful to these shores given that we're only just going to manage to get them by july um yeah. you know it, it doesn't doesn't add up does it as such even though it's obviously good news in its own right but it's uh yeah it does sound like the euros is going to be a whole different animal to what was originally intended and not just in terms of which year it's being uh it's being taken place in uh, a whole year later it's crazy isn't it crazy times um one other bit of um news to do with stadiums is actually everton liverpool city council have approved their new brandley uh, sorry brandley more dock stadium uh, my phone uh auto corrected something on my notes i see yeah brandley more dock um in the, in the city, um, 52,888 capacity is what's proposed. It was originally submitted in December 9, 2019, I think, and there were some amendments that were, I think, pretty much required um, to take place, which have gone through. It's now got its approval. It will go to a government review, so they're going to have a look at it and, and give their approval. Um, the idea being that once approved, it will be a three-year construction period, so it'll be a while yet before we get to... Uh, to move to the new store to see them in the new stadium uh, and well disappointingly miss out on our letterbox view or no view <laughs> from goodison park glorious isn't it yeah it's a question um, for you which one's a better view selhurst or goodison oh my god when you use the word better there um <laughs> maybe a more appropriate yeah well they're judging yeah. by our away record ever so we might want the bad view to be honest yeah yeah i, yeah, I have to say not not being able to see what's going on in the pitch at goodison park it's normally it's just a terrible terrible ground i just think i mean architecturally it's very it's very nice but it's not suited to having seats in it um it's better when when you could stand at uh, at goodison but yeah um but it's just so i mean it's just a rubbish away day we always play terrible there um yeah yeah, I quite liked that little sort of fa- that fan zone thing outside, which I thought I thought worked really, really well, and I quite enjoyed that. But the um, hmm. but inside the stadium, it's just it's just so antiquated. It's really cramped, uncomfortable. Um, you know, the split level of the of the fans, so I'm not really a big fan of. And yeah. So, that, um, and their new state, the plans for their new stadium look, look terrific. It looks really, it looks really. It nice. does look really good, doesn't it? Yeah, so, really um, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I really, I really, yeah, I really hope that they that they can get that done. But especially as you know, they're actually marginally more entertaining to watch than than they have been in recent years. They actually play some non-soccer yeah. football now. Mm. It's a shame they didn't turn up against Fulham, who, who've, who've got who did have an even worse record than we did. They they played them all of 22 times, which is far more than us, I think. And um, they'd lost every single game until, of course, they go and win 2-0 last week. I'd add to Fulham Newcastle as well. They've lost to both of them at home recently. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Newcastle. thanks, Everton. Callum Wilson could have scored both, didn't he, before he got injured? 
So, yeah, mm. so, like, two games. Uh, recently, they've won at Liverpool, you know, beaten other teams, beaten Spurs in the Cup and lost at home to bloody Fulham and Newcastle. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think we just have to go and get the wins ourselves rather than relying on other teams yeah. to mm. help us out, I think. Exactly. Yeah, we yeah. Should be, we, let's, let's just get it done ourselves without worrying about other teams. Yeah. Somehow it never works Ooh. like that, though, for us. We don't <laughs> <laughs> no, but you just know we're, we're gonna we'll lose to West Brom and then we'll we'll beat uh, whoever it's we've got yeah. up coming up, isn't it? Man U or whatever. the next one. It's funny. I I think I said at the mm. time after we beat Liverpool, we all we've got ourselves every single season we've been in Premier League, we've got ourselves a position where we can actually make ourselves quite safe at a reasonable time. And if we had one or two more results, and every time, including this time, we failed miserably. You know, the first. <laughs> Going into the international break in March, we'd had a really good run, beaten Arsenal and, and then lost a, like, had a really bad run until the Man U game. The second season, we obviously were doing, looking really safe in the new year and then had a dreadful run. Even after Palace, we then had a dreadful run. You know, the last season we've had, you know, we had a few wins at Christmas again and then went to the dreadful run. And it just seems like we're not capable of taking that next step to make ourselves safe, you know, even on, even 13th or 14th, where we actually would have that gap. We always seem to want to be, just you know, floating above, but never actually dropping in. Ironically, because then when we're looking like we might drop into the bottom three, we'll then pull out a result from nowhere. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a Brighton way, isn't it? It's just a, something that we, but we can't afford to keep doing that forever because we'll become a Wigan and then eventually we will go down if we carry yeah. on like that. However, yeah. nice football we play. It's it's not easy sporting this team. <laughs> yeah. There's very few boring seasons, are there? Where it's like, oh, we're just average mid-table. <laughs> yeah. I think that might be the title of the episode, Andy. You've just uh, you've just given me there. <laughs> it certainly feels that way at the moment. Yeah, um, two other bits of news. I mean, one on a sour note, unfortunately, um, and a little bit alarming in, in one other respect, which I'll come to in a minute, is the news that Gordon McQueen is the latest former footballer to be diagnosed with vascular dementia. Um, he, of course, is a Leeds ex-Leeds Man United and Scotland international central defender, father of Sky Sports presenter Hayley McQueen, for anyone that knows her or watches Sky Sports, uh, made his name well, chiefly in the 70s, didn't he? The thing that I found extra disturbing about this is that last sentence there, the 70s, it's kind of a different, it's the later era from those cases that we've seen largely before, which is mainly centred around the 50s and 60s players, I think, isn't it, broadly speaking? And you can see that this issue is carrying on into the next level and and I think Gordon's in his 60s. So um, that's that's a worry in that sense that they, they're getting, it's carrying on for the next generation after those World Cup era people. And and also the fact that um, he's getting it at that age. It's, it's a worry, isn't it? And it, obviously it just projects further light onto the need for as much possible scrutiny as they can into what's going on and the harmful effects. Um, he, yeah. he said something apparently about he, he did used to stay behind and do a lot of relentless extra headed ball practice with the goalkeeper um, after training a lot as well. And he, he thinks that that is a contributory factor. Um, he was a prolific header of the ball. I mean, he was um, mm. a, a towering presence in, in the, in the box. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, I remember him very well from, mm. from, from the 70s. Yeah, he's a good, but, um, very good yeah. player. Yeah. That is sad to hear. And yeah, it's something that also, like, I mean, the footballs back then were like medicine balls. Um, so that yeah. won't have helped either. Um, so yeah, it is something that the sport needs to keep a firm eye on. And in the same way that American football is looking at the issue of 
concussion a lot more seriously now than it than it has done in the past. I think that is something that um, that, that football should be doing. That's what I like the idea of concussion subs um, because it, yeah. is, it is it is a serious issue for for the for the players, and um, yeah, they need looking after. Yeah. And the only other bit, actually it's two bits, not one. Um, it, just a, a quick note, that James Tilly, former youth player who we had high hopes for back in the day, he scored his first goal for Crawley, an injury time winner, a 1-0 win at home to Colchester United, for what that's worth, for anyone that's interested in players from the recent past. Um, they've described him as a midfielder. I always thought of him as more of a forward. or He can be an attacking mid, I think. But uh, anyway, well taken goal. I saw it on the highlights uh, at the EFL the other day. Um, I did actually watch the... Coventry-Brentford game um, live um, to have a look at Ostergaard and Gilkeris. Gilkeris was a fairly late sub actually in the game, but Ostergaard you know, he's quite solid. He, I did feel a couple of times players got um, the wrong side of him a little bit. He looked like he might be a bit slow picking them up, um, but they played a good game. They won 2-0. It wasn't a great match, to be honest, uh, uh, but they won solidly 2-0 against Brentford, which was a good result for them, and steers them away from trouble, which is obviously more of a positive psychological experience for our players if they can avoid relegation. Um, you know, it's too early to say, and it was difficult to really judge much from it, but just just, just as a matter of mention. But also related to that, uh, Peter, you, um, I think it was two, three weeks ago, we were, we were singing the praises in a, a rare chat about the EFL and how well Brentford are doing. It looks like they might go that step further this year. Yeah. You have swiftly cursed them. <laughs> they've they've finished, I think it was a 21-game unbeaten run, largely made up of victories with three straight defeats, yes. So yeah, I, I mean, anyone upside. else wants to, wants to write in and get rid of cursing other teams, then uh, I'm happy <laughs> to uh, any team that's doing well in another league that they don't like. Um, but on a serious note, Ostergaard, I saw all quoted in, there uh, was a bit of coverage around him last week, I think in The Athletic and yeah. on some other papers, saying basically he's got a, He's got a one-year option, or we've got a one-year option with him, but he really wants to sign a new deal and stay with us, or at least go out on a better loan and have a, a long-term, you know, prove he has a long-term future if he's going to stay. Otherwise, he'd rather leave next season. And to be fair to him, that's fair enough. I mean, he doesn't, yeah, he's hit, he's got championship football this year. If they've seen that and not convinced he's got enough, then they probably need to kind of maybe look at selling him, maybe or whatever. Yeah. It, well, I'm yeah. assuming they'll take up the one-year deal because at his age, we could get at the very least get a decent sell on for him. Um, but yeah, having had a year in Championship, he probably hoped to. But then, of course, Matt yeah. Clark's had two years at Derby, and he's probably above him at least in the, the pecking order. So, um, yeah, it's mm. hard for our centre halves. And you've got Roberts obviously doing very well at Rochdale. You'd imagine that he's, or doing pretty well from the sound of it, he's probably heading for the Championship next season. You'd have thought if they can find a decent, like, decent loan for him. And then Van Heck doing okay, I think, in Holland as well. So, as always, we've got a, a million centre halves spare in some, you know, lying around kind of in case of emergency. <laughs> Yeah, two a penny. Yeah, but no, I think you're right. Ostergaard's coming to a sort of like a crossroads, isn't he, in his career? Yeah, I think possibly another year. Obviously, he's very young from where I'm sitting, but mm. you know, kind of, yeah, is is actually you know, kind of making a point where maybe he does need to, uh, yeah, to mm. kind of to get regular teams for a permanent team rather than on loan. Although Walton, of course, shows you know he's obviously coming to the team this year after being on loan for eight years. Well, one side note, what I think about on age, I, I felt very old the other day when Man U brought on a player whose name I Shola Shortire or something like that, um, Shortire, who is, was born in tw- 2004. What? Which made me ver- feel very, very old. He was like, born in 2004. He was 17, apparently. So he's like born in, I think, February 2004. I, it made me feel very, very old. I, mean, I was old in 2004. 
<laughs> Same here. Born that late. It? I mean, so it wasn't different for that long ago. People born in the year 2000 were first coming through. I know it's 2004. Soon the majority of people would have been born this millennium. And that's, that's when you're really going to start yeah, to feel it, like if you're not already. Mm. That's, uh, that's, uh, that made me feel extremely old. Yeah, well, on that cheery note, um, we'll wrap it up for this game, uh, for, the, for this episode. Just to, to mention, there are a few plans afoot. We'll, um, we're in the process of a, of a change of sorts happening to do with the pods. Nothing that will affect the content as such, um, but you will notice uh, a couple of changes coming up soon. Um, more on that as you'll, well, you'll realise in, in due course. Um, but as far as this episode goes, we'll wrap it up there. Obviously, it's a disappointing day at the office. Let's hope it's just a blip and we can go back to our other recent form, uh, particularly in this next game coming up against West Brom. Um, we will hopefully be doing a preview pod with a West Brom fan um, later in this coming week. Um, so hopefully you'll be able to stay tuned for that one. In the meantime, though, thank you very much to Andy Bass for joining us. It's been a pleasure as always, sir. Yeah. <laughs> just, yep. Oh, yep. Yeah, well, we, and, yeah, we, we had to talk it out. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it it's it's cathartic. It's I don't know. It's meditative. Maybe it's somehow I don't know. It's some sort of process we go through to I, get I out. I feel a bit system. better now, anyway, for for that yeah. sort of therapy session. It's good to talk. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, indeed, and also Peter, of course, thank you for joining me as well as always. And we will just finish with those immortal words: stand or fall. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.